It's Thursday, the 25th of May. Welcome to Afternoon Sport. I'm Shane Lee, and I'm joined today with a young lad, Jack Threlfall, who's um, pitching himself to, to be here. I'm predicting he's going to be the future voice of motor racing. Um, so today's show is all about the Monaco Grand Prix. Jack, how are you? Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for having me on, and it should be a very exciting weekend. Yeah, mate. So before we start, you, you've always been a car head your whole life. Absolutely. Tell the story how you got here. Oh, well, it's a pretty crazy one. And uh, the few people that I've tried to tell think that I'm making it up, to be honest. But I met Matthew, (laughs) the uh, president of sports.com at uh, my part-time job at the moment is at a cafe, a small town west of London. Matthew came in one day um, and we got to talking about Formula One. He seems really passionate. I think he liked my enthusiasm. Ended up sending him over my CV, which had a few examples of my work through university, my history, my passion for racing. He liked the idea and he called me on the phone and said, I'd like to uh, invite you to the yacht in Monaco, which is, uh, <laughs> is absolutely Brilliant. crazy. I feel like uh, you know, a lucky kid who's won a competition, but uh, just trying to make the best of it. And yeah, great to be here with you today, Shane. And you've started your own podcast now. What's that called? So it's called The Jack Throwful Show. It was a project I started with uh, the university radio station in Lancaster. Um, and it just kind of grew, snowballed as we started to get bigger guests on. And it's just really satisfying to make an impact in motorsport and to feel welcomed in by the community. I think what it filled was a gap between the people that weren't normally getting interviewed. So yeah. it was that behind the scenes content from commentators, photographers, engineers, giving that insight and stuff that people hadn't heard before, I think was, um, it was really great and also really informative as well because I learned plenty of new things kind of along with the audience. Well, speaking of informative, I'm going to learn a lot here because um, uh, motor racing is not my strong suit, but um, I'm very excited to be here in Monaco at uh, Circuit de Monaco. Now, um, it started in what year, mate? That would be 1929. Yes, very good. Very good. And... Um, uh, is this the first time you've actually been to the Grand Prix here? Absolutely, yes. So it's first time here in Monaco. I've been to Silverstone before, our home race over in the UK, but it's a completely different atmosphere. Silverstone's very much, much larger attendance. It's an open track. It's a you know traditional circuit, so it looks very, very different to Monaco. And in terms of characteristics as well, the cars are set up very, very differently for Silverstone. And uh, it's later on in the season too, so it's a completely different championship context. But um, it's an incredible atmosphere here. I mean, the... Uh, the whole city comes alive, right, for the uh, for the Grand Prix. And you can see why it's the one that all the teams want to win. All the brands that are on the suits and the cars, they want to see their brand on the top of the podium. It's the one that all the drivers will end their career thinking about yeah. their Monaco Grand Prix victories. It'd be like the Wimbledon of tennis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it, it builds on that history, right? Because Formula One has been coming here since 1950 and every driver is written into the history books as a Monaco Grand Prix winner. You stand above all else. People will remember you uh, for your victories here maybe even more than your world championships. I know Fernando Alonso had been in the media last week talking about when he joined Ferrari, being able to compete here for Ferrari was when he really felt that spirit of, you know, Italy as a Formula One nation standing behind him. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of, it brings people from all different worlds of sport together here for, for the event. Um, and yeah, let's hope we have a good one this weekend. So... From an amateur's perspective, um, why is the Monaco Grand Prix so famous? It's a good question. I think... There's a few different elements to it. I think the location is a big one. So Formula One since its history, uh, first Grand Prix ever, hence the name, was in France. Uh, And then Formula One had started, uh, has always been based in the UK, but fundamentally was about bringing the top tier of motor racing to European circuits. So when they first came here in 1950, what they found was that they had one of the most challenging tracks. So when the walls... I mean, even back in those days, there was no safety barriers, right? So they were racing openly through the streets and it was that real test, you know, if, if you're off, the car's done and, and there's a good chance that you'll, you'll hurt yourself. You know, there's no small crash. Yeah. Um, a quick question for you now. Who's won the um, Monaco Grand Prix the most? Do you know that? 
answer to that? That would be Ayrton Senna, I believe, with six. That's correct, mate. Uh, Lewis Hamilton's won three. Uh, here's a question for you. What, what, um, what car manufacturer is one of the most? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the, the answer's 15 times. See if you can get it. I would have to guess Ferrari because they've been in the sport since the inception of it. Well, that would have been my guess. It's McLaren. It is McLaren. Okay. I suppose some of those would have been with, yeah, yeah. with Ayrton. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the race on Sunday. Um, the the warm-ups start on the Friday? Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so two practice sessions on Friday and then qualifying on Saturday and the full-length Grand Prix on Sunday. And what people normally say with Formula One, qualifying is less important. People say that there's no points sure. for Saturday. Yep. You only get those when you finish in the Grand Prix on Sunday. But when we come here to Monaco, it's really much more tied to that Saturday qualifying session. We've seen the cars get bigger and bigger and heavier throughout the years, makes overtaking and passing more difficult. So if you can get yourself on the front row or even the front two rows, those are really the only positions you're going to get that win from. Going to take a quick break now, but uh, don't go away because after this, Jack and I will be talking more about Formula One, who's going to win and his predictions for the race. Someone you love could die of a sudden cardiac arrest at any age, any fitness, at any time. More than 80% happen at home, and chances of survival decrease by 10% every minute. And sadly, in Australia, around 50 people die from cardiac arrest a day while waiting for the ambulance to arrive. But now, you can increase your chances of survival with CellAid, the world's first mini personal defibrillator. It's simple to use, and as small as a block of chocolate. Every home should have a cell aid. It's really a lifesaver. Buy your cell aid at cellaid.io. That's C-E-L-L-A-E-D dot I-O. Okay, so I want your prediction now come Sunday. Um, who are the three that are going to be on the podium? And tell us why you think they're going to win. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in terms of odds, you'd be looking towards uh, Sergio Perez, Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso. Those have been the three drivers who have really been reached that combination of the best form with their best equipment. And what we had last weekend was a cancelled Grand Prix in, uh, in Imola. So there'll be a lot of upgrades that were meant to have been brought to the cars for Imola that will have been brought forward to this weekend. So that could cause a bit of a technical shakeup in the rules. Really, the, the closest battle or the most high stakes battle is for second in the World Championships. We know Red Bull have the best drivers, the best car, and also the team around them with the strategy and the, the reliability to be a long way out in front. But Mercedes, Aston Martin, and Ferrari are all at relatively equal pecking orders when you add in all the factors together. Aston Martin have a really, really good car and one great driver in Fernando Alonso. Lance Stroll is a very good driver, but you can't put him in that elite World Championship tier. Now, Mercedes Mercedes have struggled with their car development, but with the driver lineup of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, that's two elite tier drivers who are really going to be pushing the team and demanding more out of the team as they look towards the Grand Prix. So with their new bits on the car, it could be that kind of symbolic victory they need. Even if it's just a third position for them, it'll be huge for all the logos, all the sponsors on their car. And I think the confidence of the team as well can take a huge amount of pride in, in winning at Monaco. So just on that, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan and they won it three times, I think 2000. 2016 and 19 maybe something like yes 19 yeah, yeah. Um, and you just mentioned there that the car's not as great um, that must be frustrating yeah. as a driver yeah absolutely I think particularly with we had a, a huge regulation change right in, in 2022 so it was really designed to 
it's a tricky problem. If you get so good in Formula One that your car's better than everyone else, everyone starts complaining that the races are boring. So the regulators will sometimes take your car as the example, find the best thing about your car, and then ban it. So that's very effectively what had happened to Mercedes. They were so good throughout uh, 14 to 2021 they had been the best at nailing that rule set. They just had the best combination of powertrain, chassis, aerodynamics. It was all working in their favor. So when the FIA, the regulatory body in Formula One, were looking to improve the racing, you had to do the rational thing. You had to say, well, you have to peg Mercedes back a little bit and bring them towards the other cars. And then in doing so, what unfortunately happened was that Mercedes suffered the consequences of that regulation change. Red Bull were then able to spot the same gaps that Mercedes had spotted uh -huh. in the previous era and effectively replace them as the dominant force. So there's been some interesting criticism of how that regulation has served the goals it was intended to in the first place and, and whether it's really worked. But yeah, you're right. Fundamentally, Mercedes have, they've changed their position in Formula One from what was the dominant team at the front to a team that is now competing for second in the world championship. And to some extent, that's good for the drivers because it means that they're fighting every weekend. They have something to look forward mm. to that we're seeing more wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing from Lewis and George, which is something we missed when they were so far out front in, in the previous years. Um, but there's been a lot of pressure inside Mercedes in their technical department because they're looking at each other thinking, well, hold on a minute. We're roughly the same team who was able to build this incredible series of incredible cars throughout the previous years. How now have we missed out and basically what do they need to do to, to get back to the front? Because you not only it's have to, yeah. absolutely, you not only have to catch Red Bull, but throughout the year you have to develop at a faster pace than they do, which is going to be really tricky when they're already starting ahead of you. They're going to get better throughout the season. So it's about getting that trajectory of development. Red Bull gives you wings, eh? Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're flying in front of everyone. So if they can get, yeah, if, if they can nail, if their upgrades work this weekend, it'll definitely bring them closer. But one of the factors talking about upgrades is that because the walls are so close in Monaco, if they're in practice on Friday, they don't feel that comfortableness with the car, they might throw it into the barrier and take out the upgrades that they've brought. So there's a big risk element there. So right. potentially you could view it as a sign of desperation for Mercedes that they're not waiting to go to maybe a more safer, more secure track to test those upgrades out. They're bringing them here because they want the performance to be at Monaco. They want to see the results. And well, this is the pinnacle, isn't it? They're in the position yeah. to take that risk because they, they need some kind of boost. Am, am I right in saying that there seems to be more crashes on this circuit? Is that because it's so narrow? Yes, absolutely. So the, the walls are so tight and as the cars have got bigger, Tracks stay the same size, but obviously proportionally there's a change. They're just getting closer and closer as the cars get bigger and it becomes more difficult for the drivers to control the cars, particularly in qualifying because the drivers know how important it is. They're pushing to the absolute limit to get that best result. And often that can end in tears. We saw it for, um, for Charles Leclerc in 2021 was pushing for pole position, had pole position and then crashed right at the end of qualifying. So it meant no drivers were able to supersede him and take the pole position away but what had happened unfortunately for him is that in that crash that had secured his pole position he damaged the gearbox on his car so he was driving to the grid on Sunday's race thinking I don't know if this car is going to work and then they get to the grid the gearbox is broken he has to retire from the front of the grid so there's a, there's a huge risk element and, and yeah the consequences can really bite you if you uh, if you overstep what your skill level is and also the performance of the car particularly for the teams that are pushing they might try and push the car harder than it's really willing to go. And, and that's really where you can end up in tears. And that's the security that Red Bull have, knowing that they're the best. They can leave a bit more of that margin on the table and, and kind of still still stay out in front. You know your stuff, mate.
I was going to say, um, obviously, that uh, wet weather can change the conditions a lot for a driver and the safety and that sort of stuff. But if it's like two or three degrees warmer or cooler, does that make much of a difference? Yeah. yeah, so there's always going to, there's, the, the way the strategies work in Formula One, you have three tyre compounds in the driver, a soft, a medium and a hard, and it's all about the teams trying to work out what's best for that day. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's, the, it's the two factors of how fast they degrade versus how fast is an individual lap time, and then over a distance of, say, 20 yep. laps, yep. what's the most efficient tyre to be on that's going to kind of balance out those two factors, right? And those are always going to be slightly different. So here in Monaco, the good thing is that there's plenty of support races. So a really important thing to touch on when we come to Monaco is the Formula 3 and the Formula 2 Grand Prix as well, because for the young drivers, that's what will get in the mind of the top recruiters, the leaders of the Formula 1 teams. They want a young driver coming through to have won at Monaco. As we spoke about earlier, it's that real show of driver skill. And also what having, the reason I brought up the support series is because what having those cars go around the track as well throughout the weekend, the rubber from their tyres sets into the compound, which means that the degradation is going to be lower. So often what we'll see in the races is probably a, a soft medium strategy because yeah. that degradation is going to be lower from the rubber going into the ground. It's normally something that we would see more on traditional full-time race circuits like Silverstone back in the UK that have racing throughout the year. They'll have a very developed surface. Um, something like Monaco as well, what can happen with the racing line is because all those support series cars are taking the same racing line, that rubber is only going down on one part of the right, track. Okay, yeah, there's another yeah. factor that can make the overtaking more difficult is that the racing line gets faster and faster throughout the weekend, but the dirty parts of the track where there's no rubber okay. going where the debris is so going, that is another factor combined just with the general width that, that makes it very difficult to pass. So you mentioned three drivers at the start. I'm not quite sure you on them in order. Who's going to win? I think if it's an incident-free weekend, Max Verstappen has the ultimate combination of, of pace and confidence. He's got a 14-point lead up in the World Championship yeah. at the moment. We saw that closed uh, throughout Azerbaijan Jean. It was a really strong race for his teammate Sergio Perez there. And in the media, people were thinking, maybe we've got a fight on our hands. We've got a single-digit points gap. Maybe, I mean, Max Verstappen has been leading the Formula, Formula One World Championship since the middle of last year, right? He fought with, uh, had a great battle with Lewis throughout 2021. Some people argue it should have ended in a tie. It was, it was a very complicated ending. But in 22, we saw him really reach the peak of his form and he has just looked like an unwaveringly dominant force at the top of that world championship. Now, so, he's, so he's won? Yep. I think, I think he has to be, right? Unless we see an incident in qualifying or what, another thing that can happen in the races here, we can end up with some pretty crazy results because the, the lower down cars, less experienced drivers, harder to control cars, more likely to end up in the barriers. And then if you can be Max Verstappen leading the race. If you get a crash that's timed at the wrong time for you, it might allow one of your rivals to make up the difference on the pit stops. But I would think on the assumption of a green flag race, it's got to be Max Verstappen first. You would then look to Sergio Perez, his teammate, who has the same equipment. So the big advantage for Perez is that anything Max gets, he should get too. Um, it's debatable to how much that actually happens inside Red Bull. There's rumours that the team has preferred Max, but there was actually something that a uh, team principal of Red Bull, Christian Horner, had mentioned, that the lengths that they go to provide equality within the Red Bull team, they alternate which driver gets to speak first in the race debriefs every weekend to ensure that no one is guiding the technical side of the team to what they would prefer and getting an unfair advantage. So, yeah, we're seeing that equality, hopefully, play through to Red Bull, and I think if that is acting as if they say it's acting, yeah. we'll see Sergio Perez in second. But the real dark horse of the weekend, who, well, they were a dark horse before the start of the season. And we saw through testing how solid their car looked uh, is Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso. Fernando. Well, that's what, that's what Max, Max um, Gunter said before. That, that's his tip for it. The, um, the Formula E driver, he, that, that's his tip. So, yeah, 
interesting. Yeah, so Fernando, they, what Aston Martin have really done is try and take a team that's been in Formula One for a long time, but has had lots of different names and it's been floating around in that midfield. And then last year, Aston Martin came in with a huge amount of cash. Uh, Lawrence Stroll, father of Lance Stroll, the other Aston Martin driver, came in with the ambition to take a team from what was towards the back of the grid to the front of the grid. It's what Red Bull did starting in 2005 to where they got now. Red Bull started at the back and climbed all the way throughout. And Aston Martin are hoping to go on that same journey. And what we've seen this year is the first and second steps, arguably, in that direction. They're now fighting for second in the World Championship, where last year they were fighting for seventh and eighth, which is it's so rare in Formula One that a team's able to make that jump. Uh, and Aston Martin have done it so, so well. And yeah, I think uh, their technical director, Dan Fallow, said that this is Fernando's best chance to win a race. If he can get that pole on Saturday, his car is fast enough. He's good enough to defend behind him and to stop all the overtaking opportunities. So it could be, uh, maybe I would agree with Max. I would think on a... On a betting perspective, I would go towards Verstappen as the, as the safe bet. Fernando Alonso, if you want long odds, you want a good return, he might be the move. Well, mate, you, st- you definitely know your stuff. And um, what's the name of your podcast again? It's the Jack Throwful Show. Okay, mate. Well, fantastic. I'm going to make check those things and make, see how good your predictions are. Um, last question before we finish for sports.com. What was your first car you got? I drive a Skoda City Go. It's a, it's a one litre, <laughs> 59 horsepower. It's because we've got rally pedigree, though, with Skoda. But, um, and, and, and what tyres? Are you medium, hard? What, what? Uh, intermediate tyres, I suppose. <laughs> wet weather conditions. But you've got to have that in England. That's brilliant, mate. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And a big thing to our sponsors, Cell AED, who are saving lives with the smallest, it's Australian bit of technology, defibrillator. Uh, and a big thank to Jack Throffor. I thought you've done a fantastic job, mate. Welcome, and uh, I'm going to hold you to those predictions. Look, we're going to be back tomorrow for another daily dose of sport. We'll see you then. Afternoon Sport. Are you thinking about making a podcast? If so... Contact the Afternoon Sport Group. We'll make it easy. With the technical know-how and industry knowledge, we'll get your podcast up and running in no time. Get in touch via our website or email hello at afternoonsport.com.